How many of you saw the movie Amistad? It's a good movie. I encourage you to see it. It came out some years ago about the true story of an African slave ship and what happened on it. And I love that scene because here are these two men looking at pictures in a Bible who cannot read English trying to understand who this man was. And you and I take for granted that everybody knows who Jesus is. The truth is everybody does not. In fact, most of the people in our city who do not go to church may recognize his name, but they, didn't, they, they, they don't really know who he is. They don't understand who he is. They don't understand about how to have a relationship with him or even why they need to have a relationship with him. And the only way they're ever going to know is if we, as God's people, help them to know. And that's our job. That's our mission. That's the reason we exist. That's the reason the Lord Jesus Christ saved us. And some, when they hear us, will believe. Others will not. But other people's response is not the determining factor in whether or not we help them to know the story of who Jesus really is and what he can do in their lives. And most of you are familiar with Matthew 28. We've been looking at it in recent weeks. Just to remind you, and then I'm going to focus on Luke. So if you want to turn to some place in your Bible, go ahead and, and open it to Luke chapter 24. But the Great Commission, we normally refer to these verses that way in Matthew 28 when he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Or as I've been sharing with you, it's literally as you are going. So wherever you are, wherever you are going as Jesus' follower, as a disciple, as you are going through your life, make disciples. Of all nations, he's not talking about countries with political boundaries. He's talking about different groups of people. It's, the word is ethnos. It's, it's ethnic groups. It's, so if, if you encounter someone of a different culture, a different race, a different socioeconomic background, a different educational level, whatever group you meet, Jesus said as his follower, as you're going through life, you are to be doing what you can to help them know about him, to help them become disciples. And so we've been defining disciples this way, and I, I just want to remind you, and it will be on the screen, but I want to draw it up here just to remind you, because I really want this over the weeks to sink into us and fully understand what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Because we have a relationship with the crucified and resurrected Jesus. We're his disciples. And disciples are people who follow him. That means that he sets the direction of our lives. We don't. He sets the priorities for our lives. We don't. We follow him just like a, a, a rabbi would have a, a group of students that were called disciples and they would follow him learn from him, become like him. Jesus had the 12. He had others who followed him, learned from him, became like him, and his priorities became their priorities. That's what it means to follow Jesus Christ. This easy believism that says you prayed some magical prayer and therefore you're saved and you don't have to worry about anything else is false teaching. There's nothing magical about any prayer. There's something supernatural 
about a submissive life and a submissive heart that says, Jesus, I'm giving myself to you. And in this prayer, yeah, I begin the journey by acknowledging that. But it's not the words of a prayer. It's the attitude of the heart that is behind it that says, Jesus, you are my Lord, my rabbi, my teacher, and I'm going to follow you every day of my life and learn from you, become more like you, and allow you to set the priorities for my life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's a whole lot more than praying a prayer when you're 10 years old and then joining the church, and that's it. Disciples go to heaven. Church members don't. Disciples know Jesus. Church members, maybe, maybe not. You've got to know which you are. Are you a follower of Jesus Christ, and what does that mean? We said that a disciple is somebody who is being transformed. By Jesus. That means as you follow him, guess what? Your thinking changes. As you follow him, what you believe changes. As you follow him, your attitudes about things change. As you follow him, you become kinder. As you follow him, you become more loving. As you follow him, you learn how to serve. You learn how to pray. You learn how to read the scripture. You learn how to make a difference in this world. As you follow him, you become more like him. That's what a transformed life is. And and, and yes, when we're saved, we're moved into the family of God and we're changed. But that change is a process. We call it sanctification that continues until the day we die and see Jesus. And if your thinking in your life today is pretty much what it was 20 years ago, you're not growing and you're not being transformed because nobody can follow Jesus and stay the way they are. And then just as important is when we follow Jesus, it means we're on mission with him and for him, accomplishing his purposes. Now, today I want us to focus a little more on being on mission. And you know there's different places in the New Testament which describe the last things Jesus said to his disciples, his final instructions before ascending back to the Father in heaven. We've been focused in recent weeks on on the description Matthew gives in his gospel. This morning I want us to look at Luke's description found in the 24th chapter. And I want us to dig a little deeper on this mission that we are on as disciples, okay, as disciples of Jesus Christ. Luke chapter 24, if you have your Bible, verse 45 is where we'll begin. The Bible says, Then he, Jesus, opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. And he said to them, Thus it is written, referring to the Old Testament Scripture, that the Christ, the Messiah, would suffer and rise again from the dead on the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins, plural, would be proclaimed in his name. All the nations, all the ethnos, all the different people groups, beginning from Jerusalem, then going elsewhere. Verse 49, And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father, that's the Holy Spirit that he had promised, sending the Holy Spirit, if you will, upon you. and but, but you are talking to his original followers. Stay here in Jerusalem till the Holy Spirit comes. When that happens, you'll be clothed with power from on high. Now, 
I said up here that part of being a disciple means we are on mission with Jesus Christ. That is exactly what he's talking about here in Luke chapter 24. And I want you to notice a couple of words, okay? You have the word witnesses. You are witnesses of these things. That's part of who we are and what we do when we're on mission with Jesus Christ. A witness is somebody who has seen something, heard something, experienced something. A witness is someone who signs a legal document verifying the veracity of what that document describes. And Jesus said we as his followers, as his people, as his disciples are his witnesses in this world. Witnesses to our experience with Jesus. What we have learned from him, what he has taught us in his word as the Holy Spirit has helped us understand it. And our lives and our words are to be like signing our signature on a legal document saying we verify, we testify, we witness to the veracity, the accuracy, the truthfulness, and the realness of this Jesus and our experience with him. But a witness is not a witness if they always stay in secret. Until you put your name on the legal document, until you climb in to that seat in the courtroom and give testimony, until you declare what you experienced, what you heard, what you saw, <clears throat> what happened, <clears throat> you're not a witness. And Jesus, <clears throat> Jesus said disciples who follow him and are being changed by him are on mission with him and they are going to be his witnesses. So if you want to think of this over here as our mission, our mission, wherever we are in life, our mission, whatever our status, whatever our activity, is to be Jesus' witness. And then he says in verse 47, we are proclaimers. Now, some Bibles will translate that word preaching. Declaring, the Greek word of the New Testament there means literally to herald, to proclaim, to announce something, to be like maybe you, <clears throat> you've seen in movies in England, you know, in bygone centuries, of a crier who would stand out and announce the news or announce the arrival of, of royalty or some important person. That's what this word means. That, that with authority... With authority, we are, we are publicly declaring something. We are publicly announcing something. We are publicly uh, 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 saying something. And that's why when we say, well, my life is a witness for Jesus, not as much as you think. Now, a life that doesn't demonstrate transformation causes people to take anything you say and, and, and view it as, as, as not not honest, not real, is hypocritical, so your witness is compromised and your witness is not affected. But see, the life that you and I live is, is to give veracity to, it, it, is to give, it is to give weight to what we say. And we are not witnessing, we are not proclaiming Jesus Christ 
we never say anything. We never talk to anybody. Matthew chapter 10, verse 27, Jesus speaking to his disciples said, What I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. And what you have, what you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim, notice this, up on the housetops. What, he, what he's saying is, you're learning all this stuff from me. You have your quiet time at the kitchen table, and God speaks to your heart, and you're blessed. He whispers things to you. You open his word at nine and he talks to you. You're learning, you're knowing him and you're knowing his word. He says, don't keep that to yourself. See, disciples, we're on mission with Jesus. That's a big, big part of the mission. Now, why, why should we do that? Some of you may be thinking, I don't want to do that. Some may be thinking, I'm afraid to do that. Why should I do that? Let me give you a couple reasons. Okay, number one, because you're a disciple. Are you, let me ask you. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Hmm? Well, Jesus said, if you're my disciple, this is what you do. Disciples follow the teacher. Learn from the teacher. Emulate the teacher. Do what the teacher instructs them to do. So one reason we do this is as his disciples, that's what disciples do. That is what he expects of us. That is what he tells us to do. That is what he teaches us to do. That's one reason. Here's another reason. People need it. People, people need it. Many of you know that uh, as a kid, I grew up a Baltimore Colt fan when it comes to pro football. And uh, really loved Baltimore Colts back in the late 60s and the 70s. One of the best teams of that era. They had a defensive lineman in the 70s, who was an All-American uh, college player at Syracuse. He was an All-Pro NFL player in 1978. And you see his photograph there, Joe Ehrman. And, and uh, he, had a, he, had a little, he had a younger brother who was about, I don't remember, eight, nine years younger than him. And his younger brother graduated high school in the, the spring of 78. And he spent that summer in Baltimore with his big brother, his hero. And they came from a troubled background. And uh, he, his, his younger brother, Billy, would work, work that summer at the coach training camp. And the plan when school started in the fall was for Billy to go to college at Towson State there in Baltimore. And he was going to live with his big brother and everything. They were all excited about that and everything was going really well until the end of that summer when they discovered that Billy had a, an aggressive form of cancer. The only treatment possible was chemotherapy, and the doctors really didn't have any hope. And so Billy spent the next five months in John, Johns Hopkins Hospital there being treated, growing weaker, losing weight, slowly dying. 
And his big brother, Joe, would spend a lot of nights in the hospital sleeping on a cot so his brother wouldn't be alone. Now, this is 1978, the best year that Joe had as a pro football player. His best year, his all-pro year when his little brother is dying with cancer. And, and as his brother got weaker and weaker and, and things looked bleaker and bleaker at the end there, he would sometimes just grab his big brother, this big football player, and he would just hug him and hold him as tight as he could. And he would cry. And one day Joe was sitting on the bed and his little brother Billy was hugging him as tight as he could. And, and his little brother through tears said, don't let me die. Please don't let me die, Joe. And Joe Ehrman said he'd never felt so powerless in his life as he did that moment. In December, during the playoffs, Billy died and was buried. And Joe described how he had always put his focus on football, on his career, on his success on all the things that he was accumulating, all the stuff that he had. Neither him or Billy had been very religious. And, 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 and in those days following his brother's death, he said he realized, he realized that he had nothing to offer his baby brother other than just being there. No hope, no help, no answers, he really didn't have anything of eternal significance to offer his brother. And it started him on a journey, and, 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 and he became very involved in helping local charities. He, he led the way in building the Ronald McDonald House near the hospital there in Baltimore. He met some Christians, and he met some preachers, and he started going to church, and he gave his life to Jesus, and he, he became a disciple of Jesus Christ, and then he became a minister. And in all those years since, Joe leads a ministry focused on inner-city kids and helping men who grew up in dysfunctional homes learn how to be a real man, especially a man of God. All because when his little brother was dying of cancer, he said, I, I don't have anything to give him. Well, brothers and sisters, let me tell you, you and I have something to give them. This Jesus. But we're not going to do that if we're not on mission with him. What about you? If somebody was dying and they said, is there any hope? Could you take the word of God, open the word of God, and show them from the word of God how to have hope in Jesus Christ? Could you? You're one. Those names we put on those little cards some weeks ago back at the start of summer, the one. Some of us have more than one one that we've, we've identified that we're praying for and we're inviting to church and, and, and so on. If, if your one came to you and said, hey, could you tell me how to have a relationship with Jesus? Could you take the Word of God, open it, and show them how? I mean, that's what you're praying for, Right? Your neighbors. If you had a, a get-together and one of them asked you about Jesus, could you take the Scripture and 
teach them about Jesus. See, we need to be on mission, and this is our mission, but here's, here's the thing, folks. If we're going to be on mission and be effective, we need to know and understand what the message is. What's the hope? What's the answer? What's the message? It's interesting. Look at verse 45 in Luke, okay? Verse 45 in Luke 24. Notice that. Jesus opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. The, uh, the word that's translated understand there is really a combination of two Greek words that, that create one word. And one of those words means together, together. And the other means to put uh, or to bring. So it's to put together, to bring together. You put the pieces of a puzzle together and then you have the, the, the picture. You put together, you bring things together. It's a, it's a way of saying Jesus helped them put the pieces together so that they understood the gospel. They understood the scripture, and the scripture is the sacred writings. Jesus wants you, he wants to help you know his word, know his truth, know, know the message so that when you are on mission with him and you're doing this, you have something to say and it's not just a quick one-sentence statement that really doesn't answer their questions and help them know how to do what you've already done. Understand the message. You know, in uh, Vision 21, we have a, a paragraph on growing disciples, and the last sentence in that paragraph talks about being able to spiritually feed ourselves as mature disciples. See, here's the thing. If, you, if, you, if you're unable to take the Word of God and allow Him, the Holy Spirit, to use this Word to, so that you can feed yourself... If the only way you ever learn anything about Scripture is from reading a book or listening to me preach or going to a Sunday school class or whatever, you're not able on Tuesday to take this Word and read it and have God speak to you and teach you. You're probably going to really struggle having a message to share with anybody who's struggling and needs hope. Which means you're probably not going to do much witnessing and proclaiming and be on mission because you're saved but you struggle to know the message. God wants you to know the message. You know, and the writer of Hebrews at the end of chapter 5 talks about people who have been saved, been believers long enough that by now they should know enough to be teachers, yet they still need somebody to teach them the basics and elementaries of the faith because they're still drinking milk and they've never learned how to eat meat and solid food. And that's too many of us in the church because over the years we've prayed that magical prayer and thought, wow, I'm safe, I'm going to heaven, and that's it. But disciples are growing and changing and learning and being transformed so we can be on mission and make a difference in people's lives. We learn the message. That's why I really encourage, I'm, I'm 
I'm, I'm, I don't know how to do it other than just beg you. Come to the training in October for D groups on October 20 and learn about it. Here's, what, here, here's something I want you to know. When my two groups meet this coming week for breakfast, each man in our groups will have already read 160 chapters of the New Testament. There's 260 chapters in the New Testament, in case you're curious. They will have already read 160 chapters, one chapter at a time, prayed about it, made a note in a journal about what God said in it, and then we'll get together and talk about it. We will have done that for 160 chapters in the New Testament. Let me ask you, do you think somebody can do that and not experience any of this? Because during the week, they're learning how to feed themselves. And it's been such a blessing to watch guys grow in their comfort level and their ability to read Scripture on their own and hear God and learn and see God in it. That's been beautiful to watch guys change. And that's what God wants for all of us. That's... Do you know why we're encouraging all of us to do a four-week Bible reading plan? We started it last week, and there's, these are available in your chair pouch, also at the Next Steps table back there. It's because if you're not used to reading Scripture daily, I want you to begin developing the practice, developing the habit, developing the spiritual discipline of reading Scripture daily because the only way you will learn to do it and learn how to hear God in it and learn how to understand it is to get in there and simply do it. If you're waiting, you know, for, you know, somebody to wave a magic wand over your head and poof, you just automatically get it. No, it doesn't work that way. You've got to get in there and be disciplined and read and trust God. And just like Jesus opened the minds of the disciples to understand, to put together the Scripture, the same Holy Spirit is within you and will help you if you'll be submissive and disciplined and you're part of a body so you're not out there just as a lone ranger Christian. We help each other. We encourage each other. We hold each other accountable. We correct, correct each other when we're going the wrong way in something. But God uses all of that to help us be able to feed ourselves. And when I'm able to feed myself, guess what? then it's a whole lot easier for me to feed somebody who's lost. So what is the message? Well, it's several things in this passage, isn't it? He talked about knowing and understanding the Scripture. Okay? I'm just going to put knowing God's Word. Okay, he, he, he talks in here not only about knowing and understanding the Scripture, but he talks about Christ who was crucified and raised from the dead. So it's knowing about Jesus, who he is, what, what, what does his death and atonement mean, and what are the Bible verses that talk about that, knowing about the resurrection of Jesus and what that means and the Bible verses that talk about that. I mean, you look at verse 46, that's, that's what he says, that part of what we we do is, is understand that the Scripture says Jesus was supposed to suffer and die. Why? Jesus was supposed to be raised from the dead. Why? That, that we proclaim all of this in His name. It's all about Him. And then in verse 47, part of our message is also about repentance. 
okay? So they can be forgiven. So forgiven for all of their sins. Well, all of us know that, but can you can you take Scripture and say to someone who's lost, let me show you what the Bible says about sin. Let me show you what the Bible says about forgiveness. Let me show you what the Bible says about Jesus. Let me show you what the Bible says about the cross. Let me show you what the Bible says about the crucifixion. Now, I, I, brothers and sisters, I know this is challenging for some of us and, and it's pushy a little bit, for some, but this is who we are. This is who we are. Why would we not want to be able to do all of this? This is who we are. But you don't have to do it alone. Because in verse 49, he talks about the Holy Spirit. And I listen, I love the image here, okay? Because the promise... When you read earlier in the, those Gospels, it's all about the Holy Spirit. But, but look at that phrase, clothed with power. I love that, clothed with power. That we, don't, we, don't, we don't have to walk around spiritually naked. We don't have to walk around spiritually powerless. The same Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead, who helped the first believers to understand, to put together the Scripture, the same Holy Spirit that convicted you of your sin when you were lost, the same Holy Spirit who tugged on your heart and pulled you to Jesus, the same Holy Spirit who came into your life the day you gave yourself to Jesus and changed you and spiritually birthed you into His family, that Holy Spirit lives in you now. And that Holy Spirit can take God's Word when you open it with a prayerful heart and speak to you and teach you. That Holy Spirit can lead you to interact with others. He can fill you with power so that you can learn the message and share the message. But you have to be available and willing and make the effort to do your part. And don't give up because you get discouraged. Don't give up because it gets hard. Don't, don't give up because you sit down to read a particular chapter of the Bible and you don't understand it. <laughs> Come to Sunday school and ask the teacher. Find another believer and ask them to help you understand it. Why, why do we throw our hands up and say, I can? When we have this Holy Spirit within us who clothes us with power. Every time we say, I cannot, is as though we are saying, God, I don't believe you. And I want you, I want you to know that you, you, you can, not because of who you are, not because of who I am, but because of the whole, who the Holy Spirit is in us. Now, let me wrap this up. All of this is about being on mission with Jesus. Okay. For a number of years, Mark Rick was the head football coach at Georgia. 
played college football at the University of Miami, the Hurricanes, and was a quarterback and actually ended up being the backup to Jim Kelly, the longtime quarterback of the Buffalo Bills and Hall of Famer. And, and uh, when he learned he was never going to be the starter because Kelly was too good and he was always going to be the backup, he kind of, you know, his bubble burst, his dream was shattered, and he went the wrong direction for a while. A lot of parties and other things, doing things he shouldn't have been doing. And he had a roommate who was also kind of wild at the University of Miami. And then one summer, his roommate, his roommate became a follower of Jesus. And Mark Rick said it was weird watching his roommate, who he'd been drinking with, watching that roommate now read the Bible. And his roommate would try to talk to him, but Mark Rick wasn't ready to hear any of it. But there were some seeds planted. So time passes, Mark graduates college and decides to get into coaching and his first job was as a graduate assistant at Florida State, the Seminoles with Bobby Bowden. Then he, you know, goes through different positions there, eventually becomes the offensive coordinator from which he eventually moved to Georgia. And um, when he was on staff there with Bobby Bowden in the late 80s, Florida State had a player one evening who was shot and killed. And so the next morning, Coach Bowden got all the players and the coaches and the staff together in their meeting room. And if you know much about college football or pro football, those players have assigned seats. So they know who's there and who misses. And uh, Pablo, the player who was killed, his seat was empty. Mark Rick was standing in the back of the room. Bobby Bowden got up in front of all of those players and he pointed to that, to that empty seat in front of all those broken, broken-hearted teammates, pointed to that empty seat and said, Pablo used to sit right there. Now he's gone. And man, if that was you last night, do you know where you would spend eternity? <laughs> Went on to tell the player something about Jesus. The following morning, Mark Rick went to Bobby Bowden's office and said, Coach, I don't know how to do what you were talking about last night. You see, sometimes we think if we just tell lost people, all you need to do is commit your life to Jesus, that's all we need to say. The problem is they don't know what that means. They don't know how to do that. That's why we have to know the message and be able to show them and explain to them how to do that. We take it for granted. They are lost. They don't know how. Bobby Bowden reached over and got his Bible out and turned to different Bible verses in the New Testament and showed Mark Rick, his assistant coach, how to have a relationship with Jesus. And there that morning in Bobby Bowden's office, Mark Rick gave his life to Jesus Christ. Became a disciple. And if you know anything about Mark Rick, you know that he is continuing to live out his faith in a very public and very real way. See, here's the thing that I appreciate about Coach Bowden in that occasion was that he, he knew he was not simply a football coach. He understood he was a disciple and that he was on mission and that there was something significantly bigger, significantly bigger in his life than simply coaching the Seminoles. 
And, and that's really what Jesus wants from us. As we're on life, as we're living, as, as, we're do, as we go through life, be on mission. Make disciples. That we begin to see ourselves that way. And so I want to encourage you to begin to see yourself as a disciple who's on mission with Jesus. Looking for opportunities to speak for Him, opportunities to serve Him, opportunities to bring honor to Him, opportunities to make a difference. I want to encourage you as a disciple of Jesus to do the reading plan, to come to the D group training, to get into the Word. I want want to encourage you if, if you've prayed that prayer and committed your life to Jesus, but that's all you've done and you've not taken the next step of being baptized to come down here in a minute and say one of the pastors, I want to be baptized. To, if, you've never, if you're not joining the church, to not just say, well, I'm just going to show up, but, but be committed because disciples are committed. And come down here and talk to one of the pastors and say, I want to join the church. Be committed. And there's some in this room who've never given their lives to Jesus. You're not a disciple. You're not a follower of Jesus. You don't have a relationship with Jesus, but you can, and he wants you to have one with him. So I'm asking you to come to one of the pastors and say, Today, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Explain to me what to do, and we have people who will do that. But you see, we have a part. All of us, each of us, me, you, we all have a part to play in this. God speaks and pulls and draws. but We have to respond. And so I'm asking you to respond. Let's stand and sing together. And you make your way to the altar. You come and make your decision for Christ right now as we sing together.